Can I invite you to please stand so we read God's word this morning? I invite you to the gospel according to St. Luke, St. Luke's gospel. And we'll be reading out of chapter 16 this morning, Luke 16, and we'll begin at verse 19, a very familiar story. May the Lord be pleased to add his blessings as we preach and teach and read his word. It said, so uh, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell or Hades or Addis, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so the day which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went up to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let us pray. Father, this is a, a, a most difficult text to preach and to receive as, O oh Lord, as it is before us and we ask you, please open the word to us. Open our understanding. Open our hearts, O Lord, that we may receive thy word. Now, Lord, I, I don't know who here does not know your name, but you know who is yours and who is not. And I pray, Lord, you would use your word to draw them to thyself, that all the glory may be thine. Lord, all that we do be for thine glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, we may be familiar with this passage of Scripture, and we might isolate verses 19 to the end of this chapter, but again, whatever the Lord teaches is with a purpose. And I think here He brings together what He's been teaching in this chapter. For example, in verse number 9 of this same chapter, He addresses their Proper use of finances. And I'm just going to read it. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. That, the purpose, that. When you fall or when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. But also in verse number 10, he tells us about being a faithful and also about an unjust steward. Again, I'll read it. Verse 10, he says, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is also unjust in much. In verse 13, we see how he addresses serving God versus serving finances. He says, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In verse number 15, he addresses justifying themselves before God. 
and that which is highly esteemed among men. In verse 16, he speaks about the authority and the immutability of the law, the permanence of God's law. But also he addresses their rejection on the message of the kingdom. And then in verse 18, he speaks to them or addresses their violation of this institution of God. In verse 18, I guess it says, Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. But remember what brought up this. This is verse 14. After he said, addresses them, verses 1 through 13, the Pharisees also, which were covetous, they loved money. They loved silver. They heard all these things and they made fun of him. They derided him. Now, the Lord brings this story, and I, I do believe this is a story, not a parable, but a story, to, and immediately he addresses the differences between the rich man and Lazarus. There's a difference, if you will, in verse 19 in their social status. There's a difference in how they dress and also in their daily provision. One never had a need to beg. The other must beg in order to survive. Health-wise, one's body was, you know, covered with fine linen. The other is covered with ulcers. One cannot afford, one could afford the best medical care the other suffered being full of sores. One ate daily. He had a banquet daily. The other would wrestle with dogs for his food. Now, whom do you suppose? If we read, if we isolated this story and had not the rest of it, whom do you suppose the Pharisees would say is favored by God? And whom do you suppose was a true child of Abraham? And whom do you suppose present day prosperity preachers would say is blessed? Now, in verse 19, we have the rich man. We'll begin at verse 19. His name is not given. It's just a certain rich man. Now, some say because his name is not written in heaven, it's not important. But some things he mentions. He mentions what? His body, his dress, and his food. The Lord says in verse 19, there was a certain man, he's very rich. Now, there's nothing wrong about being rich or evil about being rich. That's not the reason he ended up in Hades. But remember how we address verse 14. They love what? They love money. I think it's philagudus, right? The love of silver. Now, but also, not only that, together with this, they would have a feast every Sabbath day. And then you invited all your friends, and that's in Matthew. Again, I'm not going to go there. Excuse me. That's in chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. They would have feasts. They would invite their friends. And the Lord addresses that also. But also, remember, he mentions their dress in Matthew chapter number 11. And all this is summed up in this one verse, verse 19. There's a rich man. He's clothed in purple and fine linen. And he fares sumptuously every day. That is, he is clothed with the most expensive and most soft clothing available. These clothing can only be afforded by the very rich, by royalty, by the priests, and by rich people. Uh, but not only that, you know, purple was the color that I, they put on our Lord when he was mocked by the soldiers. And the Lord tells us, look, look how he banquets in verse number 19. I mean, these are not simple banquets. It's the best food. It's the best drink every day. Every day. He never had to worry about what are we going to eat today? He ate to the fullest and rejoiced in his meals daily. It was a luxurious meal. You know, money was not a problem. But in contrast with that, she says, verse 20, we have a beggar. We have a beggar named Lazarus. 
The name or the word beggar means one who crouches, which literally means, you know, he had to crouch down. Now remember, we have the rich man eating daily, faring sumptuously daily. He's got a banquet. And there's a beggar at his gate. You know, this was a custom. This was a custom in that day. Remember the, the, the man that was at the, at the, at, at, in Acts chapter number three. Remember him? The blind man or the, the paralytic man, excuse me. They brought daily to the temple to receive alms. This was a custom. You were blind. You were maimed. You were halt. You were withered. You know, they would put you at these doors, the rich people's doors or the temple's doors to what? To beg. Maybe somebody would have mercy upon you and give you something. Here we have Lazarus. He's reduced to begging, to ask alms, just like blind Bartimaeus. You know, Lazarus means whom God helps, Eliezer in the Old Testament. He's also one who puts his trust in God. And I notice here, verse 20, notice here, again. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid. They would bring him. They would bring him. And literally, the word means they threw him at the gate. The word is echado in Spanish. You know, if you read Spanish, that's what it says. They would lay him there. Why? So that somebody, perhaps when they took out the leftovers from the meal, would have mercy on him. He was thrown by others there so he could feed on the rich man's crumbs. Maybe somebody would show compassion. Maybe somebody would show mercy. He's full of sores, says the Lord in verse number 20. He was laid at the gate and he reiterates this twice in verse 21. He says, the dogs came and licked his sores. So that's an important thing we should know, we should note. That is, beloved, he's full of ulcers. Remember, this is contrast between him and the rich man. He's loathsome. He's oozing, putrefying sores. I'm sure he's got dirt, grime. He's thrown at the gate. And, I mean, I imagine that stinks. I imagine that stinks. There's nothing worse than a thing than a putrefying sore. You can smell the smell of blood. It's, 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 it's a terrible smell. But then he smells like street dog also. He's with the dogs. The stench of dogs was also, beloved, there. His food, Jesus says, look at him, verse 21. He has a desire, just like the prodigal son, he would fain fill his belly with the husk of the swine that he ate. Here, it's the same desire. He's hungry. He's hungry. He desires to be fed, verse 21. So not with, not with a meal, just the crumbs. And these crumbs fall down from the rich man's table. You see, he, his food was the leftovers. After everybody finished eating, you gather leftovers, and you throw it to the dogs. You still do it in our day, right? Well, some of us do. Give it to the dogs. And amongst those dogs is poor Lazarus wrestling with the dogs for the leftovers. Boy, nobody can, nobody can illustrate and teach like the master. No one can. No one can. But notice here. In verse 21, these dogs, verse 21 says, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. He says, moreover, the dogs have compassion. They did what they could. They licked the wounds. If you have a dog, you know that's what they do when they have a wound. They lick the wound and there's a healing uh, that comes about when they lick their wounds. But then, and I know you've been 
learning about Ecclesiastes. Here's an event that happens to them both. The rich and the poor. It's a certain event. And as the scripture says, Riches profit not in the day of wrath. Righteousness delivered from death. Here's death, the Lord says. Verse 22. It came to pass the beggar died. And was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died. Now, immediately, as soon as they die, there's a separation. The Lord tells us this. Now, let me tell you this, children. There's nobody that loves sinners more than Jesus. But He is the one that teaches us most about the eternal state. So please, lend me your ears this morning. You see, immediately we're told about a separation. They both died. And I am sure, beloved, one enters the blessed state, one enters the joyful, restful place, and one begins to be tormented. Which one do you suppose? You see, this beggar lacks the finances. He doesn't have a fancy funeral. He doesn't have all the flowers. He doesn't have this an elaborate funeral for, for, for the poor. He lacks that. He's probably thrown in a common grave. But notice what happens. As soon as he dies. Verse 22. And it came to pass the beggar died and was carried. He was carried by angels. You know, one angel would be sufficient. (laughs) See that? One angel. But that's not our God. I mean this, beloved. Because notice how precious in the sight of God is the death of one of his children, I should say. He doesn't send one angel. He says, angels. I'm sure you read about Elijah, how the angels came down and he was taken up in a whirlwind. Well, beloved, there's no difference between Lazarus and Elijah in the sight of our God. Both are children of God by faith. Notice what it says. The beggar died and was carried by the angels right into Abraham's bosom. And I think he mentions him because he's the father of what? Of all believers. If you were Abraham's seed, you would do Abraham's works. See, he's not just brought near Lazarus, but he's in the same place as Abraham. And you know what that word bosom means? It's just an intimate contact. There's a, there's, that's the closest place you can be to the father of the faithful. The nearness, the intimacy. Remember that disciple that leans on Jesus' bosom? It's also mentioned in relationship to our Savior's relationship to the Father, the Son of Man, which is in the bosom of the Father. It's a place of protection. It's a place of care. It's a place of love. Remember, he lacked these things financially. He didn't have these things while he was on this world. And here's an end. Because death marked an end of that suffering that he had to go through. And that's, I think that's the point right here. When he dies, it's the end of his suffering. His hunger is no longer there. Now, beloved, he's enjoying everlasting joy. Remember what Jesus said? Blessed are they that what? Mourn. They shall be comforted. You see, even the Savior says, look at 625, 1625. Even our Savior says that. He says, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. Likewise, 
evil things. But now, but now, he's what? He's comforted. He's comforted. And I think, brother, there's no close, there's, there's no better place, no better comfort than the bosom of our Savior. Here is the patience of the saints to wait until that day when the Lord shall call them and receive them to himself. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. But just like Lazarus dies, so does the rich man. Note verse 22. The rich man also died. But you notice immediately he says, what happens? He's buried. He's buried. And I'm sure, Brother John, I'm sure he had the best of the funerals. Let's embalm him. Whatever they did, you know, let's keep him a casket. Bring the best flowers. You know, let's bring the professional mourners. Let's do all this. Hey, a rich man had died. But you know, these words are meant to mark out their differences. You expect a big funeral. How different ways each of them departs from this world. Two different ways. Totally different. Poor man dies, nobody takes notice. Rich man dies, everybody notices, right? Then the queen just died and boy, the whole world knew about it. If I die, I'd accept some clothes from the brother. No, nobody ain't going to know. It's all right. God knows. That's all that matters. You see, death for the rich man marks the end of his lavish style, his fancy clothing, his daily banqueting. That's the end, but that's not the whole. That's not it. Listen to these sobering thoughts, beloved, that follow. And I pray you lay it to your heart. Because his death marks the beginning of everlasting torments. You see, Brother Joe, the word is not Gehenna, it's Hades. I know. I know, I know, I know what it says. It says so in the Spanish, El Hades. But you know who describes here for us? It's our Lord. Would you read with me? Follow me. Look what the Lord says this place is like. Verse 23. He says, And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. He's in torments. Verse number 23. There's other people there. It's unbelievers. There's unbelievers there. Because he says, he sees Abraham, he's afar off. And there's Lazarus in his bosom. Verse 24 tells us, there's no mercy there. I don't see any mercy there. Also, verse 24 tells us the least of the mercies is negated. He said, he didn't ask for a glass of water. He said, all I want is a drop of water. It's impossible. It's an impossible petition. That's not his only petition. We read later on, he asked for, you know, somebody go over there. That's also negated. I say this. That you may seek God with all your soul. That you not be deceived into thinking, I got plenty of time. I know, I know this, 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 this kind of preaching is not popular. I know it's not popular in our day and time. But it's, it's the record that God has given us. And He's establishing the sufficiency of the scriptures. I continue. Verse 24. Listen what it says. And he cried and said. That's a woeful cry. 
Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Notice, notice what's there. Verse 24. There's some flames. I'm tormented. I'm tormented in these flames. But verse 25. And again, these, these, these are sad words. You may not remember a lot. We just did a little test here. I don't remember a lot, right? But I tell you, you're going to remember what this man has preached and what you have heard regarding the gospel. You're going to remember. Because that's exactly what happens here. Verse 25. Remember. Is going to gnaw at your conscience. It's going to eat up at your conscience. I should have been saved. I could have been saved. I should have called for mercy. I could have called for mercy. But I didn't. I sat in my chair. And I said I will not bow my knee to this man. I will not. I will not come. Why did I do it? Why was I disobedient? Why did I not hear my parents? Why did I not hear my pastor? Who Why? Why did I do this? I was so foolish. You will remember. Because it's a place where the memory is also tormented. That's why he says, son, remember. But also verse 26 tells us there's a great gulf. You can't go back and forth. can't jump from one to the other because it's fixed. Now you notice that the rich man's aware where he's at? He says, verse 23, in hell. And he lifts up his eyes. He knows where he's at. He's not asleep. He's not just in the grave like here, he's fully conscious. He has his mental faculties. Thing is, he expected to see Abraham because he's a Jew by birth. He calls him Father Abraham, you know, but he didn't expect to do that from the fiery pit. And I'm sure he did not expect to see Lazarus next to Abraham's bosom. You know, some of you have figured out how you can cheat death. How you can cheat hell. You won't forsake your sin. But let me tell you this. Hell shall mock at your calamity and foolish heart. Death does not make covenants which favor you. Neither death nor hell make covenants that favor man. He cries from Hades. He says, look, look at his cry, please. Verse 24. It's a sad, and again, no one like our Savior who can teach like Him with a heart that loves sinners and seeks for you to turn to Him. There's no one like Him. No one can express Himself like Him. No one can use creation like Him. Nobody can teach like the Master. Nobody can. But here he lets us know in verse 24, he lets out a shriek, a loud voice. It's a sad, sobering petition from someone who never begged before. He cries for mercy. And they can be heard. 
from this bottomless pit. See, he doesn't ask for a glass of water. He asks for mercy. See that? Verse 24 says, have mercy. Oh, Savior, that you would not pass me by, but have mercy on me. Have mercy. That's a beggar. That's you without Christ. A beggar. I won't let you go. You know, Jesus was passing by. Last time he passes through Jericho, there's a blind man sitting there, whether on the way out or the way in of Jericho. And he hears there's a tumult going on. There's, Jesus is passing by. It's the last time he passes by Jericho. And he says, what's going on? It's Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Be quiet. You're disrupting the master. And he cried the louder. The louder. He's got to hear me. Uh, He's got to hear me. My eyes depend on that. But if he would just touch my eyes, I shall be made whole. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't know where Jesus was. He knows who he was in the crowd, but he didn't know exactly where he was at. And I tell you this, Jesus is here today. Cry out to him. He says, what would you that I do unto thee? Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus was moved with compassion. He touched his eyes. Thy faith has saved thee. That faith has made thee whole. You know you're in sin this morning. I don't need to tell you that. You try to hide it, hide it, but it's like that three-folded cord. It's not holding you. You can't get rid of it. Perhaps you try to hide it. It's going to take you down. It's going to ruin you. Cry out for mercy. He does have mercy. He does have mercy. You see, he cries. But there's not even a drop of mercy now. It's too late. But you notice, he still thinks after the flesh. You notice his nature's not changed. You notice that where he is and aware that he can't get out. He doesn't ask, well, get me out of here. Verse 26 lets us know the finality. This is the end. This is the end state after death. Notice. Verse 25. Remember. Son, remember. I believe these words... You can find them in another text. I'm not going to turn to this morning. It says, Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Mark 9:43 through 48. It's that never dying worm, gnawing, chewing, not on the flesh, but on your conscience, your thoughts. Oh, I hate foolish thoughts. And I know right now there's something going on in your, your thought. You know, what's for lunch? What's for dinner? Oh, I wish you would just sit down. Oh, why is it too long? Oh, why am I here? Why am I even here? Oh, remember those words. Remember those words. Because if you don't come to the Savior, they will gnaw at you for all eternity. They will know what you. I should have come. I could have come. Maybe you're ashamed. 
What, what are these guys going to say? What are these people going to say? We're going to rejoice. That's what we're going to do. We're going to rejoice. We're not, we're not going to shame you. Because I was a sinner saved by grace. That's all I am. A beggar just like Lazarus begging. I still beg. Verse 25. Their conscience and their thoughts. Remember. Oh, life was good. Partied every day. It was sure was good. And, and you know what? Nothing wrong with enjoying life God gives us. There's nothing wrong with it. He gives us life that we may enjoy. You know that? There's nothing wrong with that. But remember your Creator. He says, remember. You receive good things. Lazarus, evil things. He Now he is comforted. Thou art tormented. He's going to remember that forever. Then Jesus says, Beside this, besides all this, besides this division, you know, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't want fellowship with the saints. You didn't want to hang around with the saints. You wanted nothing to do with the people of God. You wanted nothing to do with God. Okay, it's granted to you. That's sad, brother. Is this what you want? I want nothing to do with your God. Or your church. Well, it's going to be granted. For eternity. Because it shall never enter. Into the fellowship of the saints. He says, beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that the purpose, there's a great gulf. You can't come from here to there, from there over here. You can't do it. You see that idea that prayers and can deliver a person from purgatory? That's not in the Scriptures. It's just a strategic way to deceive people and gain finances from people. Oh, that people, that people would read God's Word. You see, then you can't cross. There it's fixed. You can't go from there to here. But today... You can go from being a sinner to being saved by God today. Today. You can do that today. But not once death comes. His second petition, verse 28. He doesn't ask to be delivered. He doesn't ask to be sent. This year that we already read, that's impossible. But I got five brethren. You know, Lord, they're going to end up where I am in the same state if they don't repent. He still has compassion. These brothers that are alive, I have compassion. Now let me ask you this. What message do you suppose some 
one in hell would want you to hear this morning. What do you think they would tell you about? They would tell you, don't come here. Don't come here. Don't come into this place of torment. If they could come back, they would testify to the truth about this place of torment. Notice. Verse 27. I pray thee. Remember, this is a rich man who never begged before. He's not used to begging. He's not used to asking. I pray thee, therefore, Father, send him to my father's house. But he's got a different idea. He says, I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they come into this place of torment. You see, I've seen people show me pictures. They had a wreck. Cut the car, cut in half. The person survived. You think, surely that, that, that would change a person, the nearness of death. Does it? People don't have close encounters with death and they're scared into serving the Lord. That's not the way it works. The only thing that can change a wretched, sinful heart is still true today is the grace of our God. That's the only thing that can change your wretched heart. Have mercy on me. Grant me grace, O God. Grant me, O Lord, a new life. That's the only thing. Only God can change a man. Notice. Even that is negated. Verse 29. They have Moses and the prophets. Right here. Beginning in Moses. Psalms and the prophets. He expounded in them all the things concerning himself. Right here. This is enough. Right? This is enough. Well, I... I mean, you brethren that do preaching and teaching, you know how difficult it is to deliver God's word, a message. We want you to understand. It's so hard. We, 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 we get tongue twisted and, and our minds get, you know, carried this way and that. You know, God could send an angel. God could send someone that speaks clearly and beautifully, etc. But he's chosen us. He's chosen us men, vessels, clay vessels. But we have this treasure, says Paul. This great treasure, the gospel, that you may be saved. You know, overlook difficult. Overlook some of the mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. We're not inspired. We're not inspired. We're not perfect. We're going to cross names. We're going to Forget scripture. We're going to do that. But don't put your eyes on me. Don't put your eyes on John. Put your eyes on the Lord. Because we're going to fail you. But he will never fail you. He'll never forsake you. He'll carry you in his bosom. I have five brethren. Verse 30. He thinks he has the answer. Says, no. If one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. You, you know what they wanted to do with him that went from the dead? Another Lazarus? They wanted to kill him too. There's a great miracle that the Lord did. He raised up a dead man four days dead. He raised him up. He says, let's kill him too. 
Let's kill Jesus and let's kill him too. Man's not going to be persuaded. The Lord knows that. So here, verse 31. I conclude. You know, he, he supposes, I, I know what it takes to bring a person to repentance. It's a little scare. You know, maybe a little miracle. Maybe some torment. It's not going to bring you to repentance. It's God. It is God. Isn't it say the servant of the Lord must not strive, right? Be gentle, apt to teach. I forget, I'm sorry, in my mind again. But I know it says in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will grant them repentance. And they may escape. They may escape. There's a snare. The snare of the devil. What a snare. What a lie. What do we teach on the scriptures? God grant you repentance. You will not be persuaded. You will not be convinced unless you hear this book right here. Right here. What does he say? What does God say? One of my favorite prophets is Isaiah. Would you turn with me to Isaiah 55? I know you know these verses. Verse 6, Isaiah 55, 6. You know, I wasn't looking. For, I, was, I was not looking for God. I wasn't. I was running from God. You see, you think that, well, I'm going to speak for myself, I'm not going to throw you under the bus, but you, you see a person preaching and teaching, and say, oh, he must always have been a good person and upright. No! I know Paul took the title the chiefest of sinners, but I'm right next to him. I did everything I could to destroy my life. I was so dumb. And I ran away from God. Thank God, He stopped me. He fetched me. Because that scripture says, I was found of them that sought me not. I wasn't raised in a Baptist or Christian church. I was not. I didn't know the scriptures. But one day I heard this, the sweetest Verses in my heart. Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins are forgiven thee. Sweetest melody to my ears and to my heart. Here, what the word says, Isaiah 55 verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him 
And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. I know I addressed people that do not know the Lord. But you know, this God that we preach also turns the heart of his people back to him. You know that? Because all we like sheep go astray. You know, we, we, we follow, we follow. By the time you know, we're, we're, we're far from God. But then he uses this again, this book, and he turns our heart back to him again. He said, whoa, those are lovely words. You know, those are good words. I want to hear them again. That's our God. May you know Him. May you come to know Him. And if you know Him, cling on to Him. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You for Thy Word. Thy Word is truth. And we pray, Lord, what is Yours may remain in our hearts. Lord, anything else, Lord, can be forgotten and for, forever, Lord. It's not thy word, but thy word. May it remain in our hearts. Help us to meditate on it. Not just be, O oh Lord, forgetful hearers. But this morning, Lord, I pray you, you will deal with those that do not know you. May they take a minute and think about their eternal state. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Brother John. Thank you for those men that help him, Lord, in this work. Please continue to bless them. Thank you, Lord, that I see out there and I see a lot new faces. Thank you for that. Because it's you that brings them. Guide them, O Lord, in all they do. And may you be glorified through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.